Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 31 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Now, where have I heard that before? We have an artificial episode planned for today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can always listen in li- li- there on iTunes, your favorite podcast provider, or wherever you like to listen. Today for the you part, we have some follow-up about Marcy's Law, the constitutional amendment we talked about in the last episode. And we have a, a new question about yet another constitutional amendment. Uh, this, this law is as yet unnamed, but I'm going to name it. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today lives on the cutting edge of technology, artificial intelligence software manager Donna Herb. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it'll be my turn. Your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on a particular issue that really sticks in my craw, pun intended. Today's rant, the Pledge of Allegiance. And throughout the show, as is our recently established custom, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as narrator to read our, read our live commercials, as always. Today's narrator is also a member of Northeast Philadelphia Toastmasters Club, Camille Y. Bird. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Camille. Thank you. I have to ask, what do you like about being a Toastmaster? What I enjoy most about being a Toastmaster is it allows me to avoid being afraid of speaking in front of many people and it allows me to remain and stay polished and polish my fellow colleagues Mm -hmm. and to get you on the radio too and to get me on the radio yeah (laughs) life is grand doesn't get better we also have another toastmaster with us today as is our recent tradition to help read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag a role that we call cohort and today's cohort is no stranger to the Pennsylvania Project. She's been here before, and in fact, she sang for us about park rangers in episode 19, you may recall. And of course, she's a Toastmaster too, and she's going to be today's guest as well, Donna Herb. Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project, Donna. Well, thank you very much, Ken. What brings you back? What brings me back? I think it was you asking me to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it'd be easy to say no. Oh, I wouldn't do that to you. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Never know. I, you know, we've known each other for years now. There's got to be something in the past that I deserve a payback for. I'll think about that. All right. <laughs> Next time. All right. Let's dig into the mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain about stuff, but to explore solutions. So what do we got, Donna? Well, Ken, today we have an email from Ralph McKittrick. From Slattington, Pennsylvania. Slattington. Slattington. I know the town. It's right on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. You are a big trail person. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Well, Slattington, thank you for correcting me. You're welcome. And his email says, Thanks for the comprehensive review of that terrible Marcy's Law. I'll definitely be voting against it. 
But there was one constitutional aspect you neglected to mention. Article 11, Section 1 says, When two or more amendments shall be submitted, they shall be voted upon separately. As you pointed out, Marcy's law challenges several parts of the Constitution at once. It's not allowed to do that. I'm surprised you missed that mentioning that point. Maybe it's because you were never taught the Pennsylvania Constitution <laughs> in school, winky winky. True. Also, thanks for live streaming your craw rant about Marcy's Law on your Facebook page. I hope you're planning to do more live streaming like that. We don't get the radio signal up here in Slatington. And who wants to wait for days for iTunes to post it or weeks for your website to post it? <laughs> Thank you, Ralph. That's a very good question. I don't know why we didn't start live streaming these things sooner. You know that Marcy, Marcy's Law one had thousands of views on it the last time I looked. It's still going up. Maybe we should live stream them all? I'm looking to my producer, and he is not saying anything. Maybe we should do the whole show? Sure. <laughs> I guess we'll see, as my mom would always like to say. And Ralph, as for your reprimand about me not mentioning Article 11, Section 1, well, let me tell you, there's something important about doing live radio, and that is time. There's only so much of it. I have to keep my eye closely on the clock here because it sounds terrible if I wind up getting cut off in the middle of a rant. That actually happened once, down around Episode 2 or 3, a long, long time ago. And it's even worse if I haven't gotten to my point yet because, like, what was he talking about? What was the point of that? So if time is ever running short, what I do is I will lop off logical chunks that appear late in my rant. Not at the end, not at the beginning, but toward the end. That way I can shorten the rant a little bit and stay within time limits without losing the punch or the meaning. The analogy I like to use is like a car antenna that expands and contracts. You slide it up and down. It's a Toastmasters trick I learned many, many years ago, and I use it here all the time. All that said, now you can guess where my mentioning Article 11, Section 1 went to. It got collapsed into that time tunnel. And as you may recall, our radio producer Robert started the closing music maybe a minute before I was done the rant. So I had to skip Article 11 and jump right to the conclusion, which was, don't vote for Marcy's Law. I'll say it again. But as it turns out, it may not matter. Our friends at the ACLU and the League of Women Voters have filed suit to have the question removed from the ballot. You know what the reason was? Article 11, Section 1, because the amendment actually changes several things, just like I mentioned, or just like I didn't mention. Just Ralph, just like you mentioned. <laughs> Another reason they challenged it was something I did miss. I didn't even plan to say it. And that's the actual text of the amendment was not on the ballot question. It was all just opinion, saying, well, we're going to do this and that. But it didn't say what the text was. So how can people vote on something when they don't know what they're voting on? Last I heard, the judge ruled that the question can stay on the ballot, but they're not going to tally the results until the issue is decided in court one way or the other, including all possible appeals. So it may be years before we find out what happens. But I'm guessing that with such fatal flaws in it, odds are it's not going to pass the constitutional muster and the judge is going to kick it out. Is it going to pass? We'll see, as my mom would always say. It's the third time my mom came up today. So stay tuned. We'll find out. What else we got, Donna? Our next email 
is from Bill Cunningham from Chester County, Pennsylvania. And he says, Hi, Ken. Recently, state Republican Danielle Friel Auden, I hope I said that right. <laughs> it's representative, not Republican. Oops. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Represent, state representative. <laughs> That's what happens when you abbreviate. And, and Can I start again? Let's start that again, shall we? All right. All right. Hey, welcome to Pen. <laughs> no, not that far back. Okay, here we go. All right, so Bill says, hi, Ken. Recently, State Representative Daniel Friel Otten announced a proposal for an amendment to the Pennsylvania Constitution. <laughs> the amendment, HB 1813, claims it would allow municipal governments to enact laws protecting the health and safety of their communities without interference from corporations or preemption by the state or federal government. Mm. Several people spoke in favor of the amendment with comments like, preemption laws override common sense. In Pennsylvania, the state legislature has prohibited guns in the state capital and on state properties, while at the same time, it preempts local governments from restricting guns in municipal buildings or in any city or town hall. Do you think that HB 1813 is a good idea for Pennsylvania? <laughs> I'm getting hit with one possible constitutional amendment after another. Last episode, we had Marcy's Law. This time, it's HB 1813. Fortunately, an unnamed law. I guess there's no victim this time, except maybe the Declaration of Rights in the Pennsylvania Constitution, because that is the place where Representative Otten wants to put her law. Right up front, right there in Article 1, at the end of Article 1, the one that spells out what the government cannot take away from us, what rights are inalienable, but they take them away anyway, but I digress. Well, since HB 1813 doesn't have a cutesy name, and I'm not going to keep saying 1813, maybe we should give it one. Since this one is a real moonshot, I was thinking of calling it Luna's Law, but it sounds just too close to lunatic, and I'm not going to go down that path. I try not to insult anybody. Now, let's put the blame where it belongs on its author. We'll call it Danielle's Law. The nice-sounding title that she gave Danielle's Law is, quote, the right to local self-government. Sounds great, doesn't it? Only until you look under the hood. You want to take a look? You feeling brave? Because I have here the text of her amendment, edited only slightly for brevity. And, by the way, it's the actual text of the constitutional wording, not some mamby-pamby summary like they did with Marcy's Law. Here goes, quote, right to local self-government. The right includes, without limitation, the power to enact local laws using prohibitions and other means, establishing, defining, altering, or eliminating the rights, powers, and duties of corporations and other business entities that operate or seek to operate in the community. Local laws adopted shall not be subject to preemption by international, federal, or state laws, provided that the, a local law does not infringe or restrict fundamental rights of individuals, their communities, or nature. Those that are secured by the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of Pennsylvania, or international law. That's the text of it. Right off the bat, it's just like Marcy's law. It, Danielle's law is self-contradictory. Because on one hand, she says it's not going to restrict the, fun, restrict the fundamental rights of individuals. But on the other hand, it's going to define, alter, or eliminate the rights of business entities. Uh, excuse me, don't individuals have the right to form business entities? 
Not anymore of her law passes anyway. What if she passes a local law banning corporations? Mm-mm. That might be a good thing, but I'm going to save that topic for another day. I got a lot to say about corporations. Can you imagine the confusion that we caused by a hodgepodge of local laws if her law passes? Can you imagine laws varying from one town to the next when you're trying to conduct business? Imagine Stroudsburg and East, East Stroudsburg right next to each other and they have wildly conflicting laws. Or worse yet, I'm thinking of Delaware County where they have all these little towns. They all pile up one on top of the other. And the only way you can tell the towns apart is by the color of the street signs and the color of the cop cars too. But again, I digress. This goes back to a question we had in episode 18 about quote-unquote copycat legislation from one of our regular listeners, Bernie McCann, who, by the way, was the instigator of Donna singing back in episode 19. He was complaining about some laws that are written by industrial lobbyists and include boilerplate texts. He called them copycat legislation. He portrays them in the worst possible light, like something wrong with it being copycat. What I said back in episode 19, the copycat legislation is good for business because it makes it easier to do business across jurisdictions. They know what to expect, and that will make it cheaper as well. But if Daniel's law passes, prices are sure to rise, and litigation is sure to rise. What is this? This is another jobs bill for attorneys that they want to pass? I don't know. Legalities and price increases aside, One of the stated reasons for the law, what Danielle herself says, is that she wants to enact local gun legislation. That would override Article 1, Section 21 of the self-same Pennsylvania Constitution, which says, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves in the state shall not be questioned. Obviously, she has a question about that. Now we can see her goal. And I'm wondering, what other inalienable rights does she want to overturn? What other state or federal laws would be preempted? What local yokel is going to put themselves above the state law, above federal law, above international law? I mean, we all have some local politician that we all love to hate. They overstep their authority. Can you imagine them having the ability to preempt all those laws? Let's hope you don't find out. Let's hope this does not pass. So please vote no on Danielle's law if it ever comes up before us, HB 1813. And on that potentially rights-destroying note, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of episode 31. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be visiting with today's guest, the AI systems manager, Donna Herb. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. 
Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? One, people have, at all times, an an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper? Or what about juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts? What about the right of citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned? Do those, do those words sound like there's something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? A Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have they ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? They've heard of the United States Constitution. What about PA Constitution? Have you ever read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we've changed those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up to it's up on our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, please add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 500 one-school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's on top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it, your neighbors, your co-workers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone, read the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. Mm-hmm. So very true. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the them portion of episode 31 of the Pennsylvania Project. It's the part where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is all cultural, maybe scientific might be a better word. We have with us Donna Herb, manager of AI projects at a local major research firm. And she's also a longtime Toastmaster and a former narrator on the Pennsylvania Project and probably one of the best speakers we have in our Toastmasters Club. Donna, welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project. Well, thank you, Ken. It's actually fun to be back. I had a really good time when I was here last time. I know. So did we. And you, you sang Bernie's rewritten song for us about park I rangers. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got an email from him today. That was a while ago. It was what, episode 11, I think it was. I forget. I wrote it down. And he just came back. He was listening to it again. Oh, I hope he enjoyed it. He did, you know. He, he says he's got more for you. He sent in another one, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna share that with you. We're not here to talk about Bernie. We're here to talk about AI, artificial intelligence. Yes. And you manage software projects. Yes, so you, I do. So you got your finger in a lot of pies. Well, they are AI software projects. So uh-huh. <laughs> goes together. A lot of, uh, yeah. Okay. So let's start off the top. What What do you mean by AI? I mean, it's it's like a manhole cover the way that people throw that term around. <laughs> Well, let me start by saying, you know, today, just about everybody is jumping on this quote-unquote AI bandwagon. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear it and see it everywhere. 
and, and companies or their marketing departments at least are tailoring the term, the broad term AI to suit their own needs. Of course. That way they can use it and say, I'm using this hot buzzword and say, me too, me too, we've got AI. So what is artificial intelligence that has become this hot topic and it's growing? Well, it turns out there's really not one good agreed upon definition. Uh-huh. If you, you know, search the web, you know, you can get a bunch of different things. Yeah, you can go to Wikipedia, you can go here, there, whatever. But the core idea has always been of building machines which are capable of thinking like humans. Mm-hmm. So AI is essentially a part of computer science which is concerned with designing intelligent computer systems. In other words, systems that exhibit the characteristics we associate with human intelligence and behavior, like understanding language or the ability to learn, mm-hmm. reason, solve problems, and so on. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a geek. I'm an IT guy. I got my first job as a COBOL programmer when I was 17, <laughs> and I'm still in the business today. And... I have some standing to judge these things, and a lot of it to me just still sounds like hype. You know, machine learning may be coming up with a whole slew of examples and saying, well, 95% of the time this worked, 5% it didn't, so if I'm faced with a situation, that's what I'm gonna do. Is that, is that a good definition, or does it go beyond that? Well, I think, well, first of all, AI is not new. It's no. just become a really hot topic lately, uh-huh. and mostly that's because we have gotten to a point in our technology where we can use big data and things like that to really improve AI. But if you look a little bit at the history, you have to go back to close to nearly 70 years ago. Really? In 1950, Alan Turing was the first to introduce a test to determine a machine's oh, yeah. intelligence. The and tur- a lot of people the, know the Turing the Turing machine. Test. That's right, the Turing test, right, for yep. machines. And it's just five years later, in 1955, that cognitive scientist John McCarthy put together a proposal for a conference coining the term artificial intelligence. Uh-huh. And then in 1956, at Dartmouth, the very first artificial intelligence conference was held. Uh-huh. And the objective of that was to explore ways to make a machine that could reason like a human, was capable of abstract thought, problem solving, and self-improvement. And, and because of his pivotal uh, role... Self-improvement is the key. That's difficult. That is. And, and we'll talk about that because uh, I, I just wanted to point out a lot of people don't realize but that McCarthy is actually known as the father of AI. And it's not a, it's not not a, house, it's not a household word. No, not like Turing or something. <laughs> right. Now, I make fun of, of intelligence in machines. And one of the ones I most recently did was the elevator. I mean, it's got enough intelligence <laughs> to know not to close on your foot. It's got enough intelligence to know that if you hit this button, it's going to take you to that floor, open the door, but it can't improve it's improve itself. So it, I guess it doesn't fit your definition. No, but, well, we haven't really gone into the definition of AI yet in terms of how it, it works. So I can say that you could make an intelligent elevator. I could, which, what? But, 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 well, we'll hold that thought. And we'll come back to that and after, and after I after I um, give you a little bit more information, then maybe you can tell me how you think we can get 
AI to help with elevators. Ah, you know, I, I have a thought already, but I, I'm not going to spoil it. Rain on your parade, <laughs> even though the clouds are coming right. and it's going to rain outside. <clears throat> well, that's all right. I mean, you know, like I said, going back, uh, you know, in the early years of, of AI, actually wasn't a whole lot done. And there was various reasons for that, including funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't until like 1997, remember, we went all the way back, AI coined the term in 1955, right? Mm -hmm. With John McCarthy. 1997, that's a long time before we actually saw anything that really made a splash. Uh, I guess I'm I'm now constrained by your definition because for something to improve itself, because as I said, I've been a geek since, not since I was 17, a long, long, long time ago. And I led a project with two other programmers, it was me and two other programmers, to automate a steel mill, a hot strip mill, where hot ingots went in one end and coils of flat steel came out the other. And we did one end to the other and we controlled how the, the ingot turned into a slab, how the slab was passed down and how it was collapsed and in the end went through rollers to come to a the proper thickness, proper width, watch it trimmed and everything like that. And our software controlled every step of the way along that line. Now, but I think I have to change my definition because I always thought of that as some kind of an artificial intelligence, but that's really automation as compared yeah. to intelligence because there's no no chance for it to improve itself. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and there's, there are different types of AI, okay? So, and the field of AI is actually very broad. So it encompasses a lot of different subfields and things in tangential areas and so on. But for the purposes of our limited time here, mm-hmm. let's look at two. And this may help to kind of narrow things down a bit. And I use the term narrow because that's actually one of the terms. Narrow, narrow AI. AI. You can also call it specialized. Some people refer to it as weak AI. And basically that's the type of AI which is focused on performing a single task. Oh, you mean like a chess playing machine or something like that? Uh, that's one, one, uh, yeah, like the, so the machine learns a single task and it learns to perform that efficiently and with intelligence, so. Hmm. I'd we, ask you to define that term too. <laughs> well, that's a whole other thing too because, <laughs> it, 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 we, and we can talk about that too because, I mean, when we get into something, what else can we talk about besides narrow? Well, there's the narrow or specialized, and then there's general AI. We actually are using some, a lot actually, of what quote unquote narrow AI is today, uh-huh. right? We are not quite there yet with general. So let's first let's just first talk about some of the narrow stuff. Well, well, I want to find out some of the stuff that you're doing with your, I mean, you're managing these projects. What kind of things, you got firsthand experience there. Well, I work mostly in the education space. Uh-huh. And so what we are using AI for, and again, the narrow version of AI, and by the way, we've been doing this for over 10 years now. I said, it's wow. not new. Yes, we were kind of you know one of those leading ones before it got to be the buzzword. Uh-huh. But we have been uh, helping people to improve their writing and speaking skills. That's primarily. We do it for other things as well, but that's that's our, our primary uh, our purpose. So. Uh-huh. Um, and in order to do that, we use um, areas within um, with AI called machine learning. And in fact, the majority of 
narrow or weak or whatever you want to call it, AI today, is exactly that a lot of people use machine learning and AI interchangeably. It's not really. Machine learning is actually a subset of, of AI. And, it, and it's actually used everywhere. Everybody has already experienced. I mean, if, do you have a credit card? And did your bank yeah. ever contact you and say, hey, oh, yeah. we noticed that. Okay, so that's AI at work. It's, it basically is used in fraud detection in the financial world, including like credit uh-huh. card use. Or how about, uh, have you tried ordering things on, say, Amazon? Or do you do Netflix? So any of that, what machine learning does is it helps with predictive behaviors. So, so, so it can all, suggest things to you. So all these like, banner ads I'm getting for, yes. for radio shows and Toastmasters and camping trips and IPAs, yep. it's all my own and fault. All that predictive stuff, yep. If you've been like buying you know, product XYZ, they're saying, well, you might like product ABC. So mm-hmm. that is actually, they try and do that to help the customer. Here's something that might be of interest to you. So you don't have to go through all sorts of things, you know. So Amazon, Spotify, Netflix. Um, also, how about your uh, smartphone? You ever text? Oh. And the little words that come up? Oh, yeah. That's predictive word suggestion <laughs> while you're texting. Uh, my daughter taught me a game with that where you just, like, follow one word to the next wherever it takes you. Mm-hmm. And you try and see what it puts together. <laughs> it's kind of like that whispering game down the lane where you whisper a phrase in somebody's ear and... By the time it gets down to the end, it's all kinds of garbled. And I, I used it today because uh, I used Waze to get here. So, you know, oh. that tells you how you can get the best driving route with less traffic and so on and so forth. All these examples of AI. Including Siri. Oh, yeah. Now we're mm-hmm. getting serious. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Alexa, Katana, et cetera. Yes. My guest today is AI Systems Manager Donna Herb. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK. Or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio podcast. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner, always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? 
Contact Steve Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Steven has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Steven will take the headache out of your process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AG Freedom Financial, we're dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. That's 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC member, FINRA forward slash SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and we're back with episode 31 of the Pennsylvania Project. And my guest, AI Systems Manager Donna Herb, she's still here. I'm I am. Not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> now, I, I want to get into some some hard examples, and we could start off with your intelligent elevator. What did <laughs> What did you mean by that? Well, we had talked a little bit about you know narrow AI or weak or whatever, and that is actually mostly machine learning, right? Okay. So, and the majority of what people today refer to it to AI is machine learning. So, actually, what happens is is that machine learning focuses on the ability to receive a set of data, learn from that data by changing algorithms as it learns, Mm -hmm. and the more it learns, the better it's supposed to get. And well, then it'd be different whether or not it's better. <laughs> well, okay. It could learn the wrong things. I, I raised three kids, so <laughs> you don't have to tell me about that. Well, we call this machine learning. Actually, it's more like machine teaching because what we're doing is we're teaching a machine how known inputs and outputs, known outputs, are related uh, to each other. Uh-huh. You and, know, this, this is what Elon Musk is doing with the Tesla cars. He's, yes. he's got hundreds of thousands of them out there, and they're all learning as they go along. And you know, it's funny because, I, when was it? It was episode 12. I talked about that because as more and more of these self-driving cars get on there, the troublemakers, people like me, they're gonna get out there <laughs> and they're gonna freak out these cars because we know the car is gonna get out of our way, the self-driving car. So we're gonna be able to cut it out. And, it, and I'm sure that we're gonna be able to hack at it and find some cute little corner of its en- operating envelope that we're going to make it do something stupid. So are you trying to actually put people in danger, Ken? Is that your intent? Because think about so what Donna. you just said. <laughs> no, because a lot of it's just harmless pranks. Like, for example, I saw a case where a Tesla didn't know whether to go forward or backwards. So it went a little bit forward, a little bit backward, a little bit forward, a little bit backward. And you could you could play games like that. I think the worst that it's going to do is waste somebody's time. 
I don't think it's going to hurt anybody. Well, these are things that, you know, we can talk about when we talk about um, so, some other parts of, of AI, which, which I, if we have time, I, I'll get into. I mean, you asked me about the elevator. So I, I, I just wanted to explain that applying, you know, these inputs and outputs that, you, that the machine learns, mm -hmm. then you give them a new set of data. Yeah. And hopefully the algorithms uh, will then be able to predict this, where the prediction comes in, uh -huh. what the outcome should be. That what outcome, like say a human would have made. Uh -huh. Similar kind of concept it, like that. You know, th there's a lot of concern in the regulatory environment because I keep up with aviation and space technology very, very closely. And they're concerned because when they're trying to certify these airplanes or whatever being run by artificial intelligence, they can't do it because it's not deterministic. They don't know what it's going to do. Like you said, now it's in a situation where it hasn't been before. Mm -hmm. With a human, you could make some guess. They've got experience, they, they may make the correct choice. But how do you know, how do you certify, how do you regulate this to make sure that it's going to be doing the right thing? I wouldn't want to be a regulator in the coming <laughs> era. No, there's 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 a lot of things. In fact, you know, you you were talking about the uh, the driverless cars and <clears throat> and you know, in terms of application of AI in the realm of self-driving cars, it actually raises security issues as well as ethical concerns. Uh huh. Because um, you know, cars can be hacked if uh, they're written true. by software. Uh, you know, if there's an autonomous uh, vehicle which is involved in an accident. Well, is the liability clear or not? Is it unclear? I, I think it's still unclear at this moment. Right now, I mean, autonomous vehicles. You know, the, I mean, you may, may also be put in a position where an accident is unavoidable, and then you're forcing the programming to make an ethical decision <laughs> about how, how to minimize the damage. Right. So there's we, a lot about that. Who are the fewest number of people I can kill? <laughs> yeah, that's what it's going to be. I, well, you know what? There is there are some ethical questions like that, which we won't get into. That's the topic uh -huh. of another show, but. Uh, but, you know, you, you're bringing up some of these other issues, and it kind of like that we have to look at that and say, okay, let's, what if we continue out of the field of narrow AI and into the more general uh -huh. or strong AI? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> How 9,000 from 2001? Well, Com computer you know, that went crazy and killed the whole crew almost. So what you what you're what you're bringing up is 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 the fears that people have and yeah, and, justifiably so. And and, and so I got my foot caught in that elevator. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, don't, I don't think that's it. <laughs> but but in in you know the, you you started out by saying by able to learn. It's more than just able to learn to get to be to true AI, right? Mm -hmm. So a true AI can improve on its past iteration. It can get smarter. Wow. Can be more aware. Donna, that's the, whenever anybody we're uses, not there yet. Whenever, whenever anybody <laughs> uses a relative word, you say, oh, it's going to get smarter. It's going to get better. Compared to what? In whose opinion? By what standard? I mean, all these improved decisions that has made from history. From what do you mean prior improve? History. See, one man's ceiling is another man's floor. So when you say improve. I may want it to go this way. You may want it to go that way. So when so you say your will, improvement could be my detriment. I will I'll give you a very, very fundamental one from my own experience. So we have software that looks at things like grammar, usage, mechanics, those kinds of things. So, you know, improvements 
could be, <clears throat> and what we do is we make models, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but, you know, improvement is that it can figure out, ah, I shouldn't have done this, I should do that, but um, the next time, well, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I, you know what? We don't have that much time, so I, we I, do not. I, 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 what I really wanted to do is I really wanted to talk about where are we in terms of moving forward, and so that's that's kind of a, of, of a question and and part of that stuff that you were talking about was kind of like the ethical thing mm-hmm. we are trying to get toward that general ai yep and what happens then is if you if you can and and there are people working on this all right the, i mean the idea is to have a machine carry out a simulation more like that of the human brain with the ability to do varied tasks as opposed to be focused on one task like driving a car or playing chess or or whatever. So having the cognitive abilities and general experiential understanding of its environments similar to what we possess as human beings. So, So one of the things they're trying to do is think about how do you learn? How does a human being learn? Because training computers to think like humans is achieved partly through something called neural networks, which is basically just a series of algorithms which modeled human what the human brain would do, right? So, but the brain can recognize patterns, right? So here's an example. So, if if you are learning something new, what you do try and do is if we encounter something new, we try and compare it to something that we already know. Of course. That is the way that we get a better understanding of it or get a sense of it. And that's the same thing that they're doing with computers. Uh-huh. So, and, and that's basically what neural nets are. Neural nets are basically that kind of like looking for patterns, doing analysis. Uh-huh. Does this yeah. look like this? Does this look like that? Yeah. Where, how can I categorize that? Oh, this is more like this. Yeah, but then it comes to that question, you know, 95% of the time they, they know what they're going to do. But in that 5%. You know, back on, it was episode 18, we had a woman here talking about mental health issues. It sounds like we're to be talking about mental health issues for AI when it starts <laughs> making wrong decisions and things like that. Well, you know, it's, 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 definitely, um, it, it's definitely things that, that, that there are fears, as I said before. Because if you, if you take AI, um, in, in, I should say the general AI now, if you take that to the extreme, and, mm-hmm. if, and some people refer to it artificial general intelligence or AGI, okay, or super AI. If you take general AI where they can do things um, and you couple that with the ability, I mean, do things like humans, couple it with the ability to be able to process data at a much greater speeds than us mere mortals, well, it follows then that the system would become exponentially greater than any human in the areas of like knowledge, cognitive ability, and processing speed. And some people say that gives rise to a very interesting species-defining moment yeah. in which human species is surpassed by this now very strong uh, AI entity. I, I don't think it's going to happen because we are already cyborgs at this point. I mean, <laughs> people are connected to their computers, connected to their phones, and everything they do is an extension of themselves through that phone. So my personal opinion is this is the direction AI is going to go. It's going to be more of a partnership where we get enhanced. And it's not going to be them taking over us. It's going to be just like we're doing with these microphones and now it magnifies the power of my voice. It's going out to thousands and thousands of people. 
So I, I tend to have an optimistic note that it's just going to be another tool. It's going to be a screwdriver that we use, just a better and better screwdriver. And Donna, we are running out of time. Oh, well, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I guess I'm sorry that we're running out of time. I know. It always goes quickly. <laughs> You know, I, I would I would say this. I, I mean, I still have a whole bunch of stuff here I want to talk about. About okay. where's my flying car? I want to know because AI <laughs> is going to control that. Well, you know what? I mean, you could. I just, the last thing I'll tell you is if if you really, you know, you mentioned Hal and and uh, and of course, people thinking of uh, you know robotics involved with AI like like data from you know the android from uh, Star Trek. Oh, Star Trek, yeah. So uh, if you're interested in things like that, you should go Google. Google? Hanson, yes, Hanson, that's H-A-N-S-O-N, Hanson Robotics, uh-huh. and Sophia. And some of your listeners may have already, maybe I, already I know, heard. Sophia. This is a, a robotic um, AI type of system who mm-hmm. looks like a human being, looks like a, a face, a woman face. I know. And Wolf. she should, uh, she was granted citizenship. Citizenship by Saudi Arabia. Good grief. And they don't have citizenship for the regular women. Well, Cut me I'm a break. just telling you. Donna, that's going to have to do it. All right. That's going to wrap it up for the them portion of our show. Thank you, AI Systems Manager Donna Herb, for coming on the Pennsylvania Project. Okay. We are going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, the Pledge of Allegiance. following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Camille, how's it going? Uh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go on as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax? I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all these forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms? Yep, and they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years. Voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit LLPA.org to sign up today. That's LLPA.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the me portion of episode 2031, I'll get there, of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant about something that sticks in my craw. Today's topic, the Pledge of Allegiance. 
Oh, yeah, the good old pledge. 31 words. We all know it by heart. We do it without thinking. Automatic. But did you ever stop to consider what you're saying, what those 31 words mean? Today, I want to take a look at the pledge one piece at a time and find out exactly what it means. Ready? Let's start at the beginning. I pledge allegiance. Well, what do these words mean? According to Webster, a pledge is a promise of performance, and allegiance is the relation or obligation of a feudal vassal to his liege lord or the duty owed by a subject subject to a sovereign. So a pledge of allegiance is a promise to be a serf, a subject. That's what it means, just to pledge allegiance. Let's look at the next piece. To the flag of the United States of America. What do we know about the flag? We've all been taught the legend of Betsy Ross, but there's a lot more to it that they never teach in school. For example, if you looked at Volume 1 of the United States Code, Section 4 in the law books, 1 U.S.C. 4, you'll see where the law defines what the flag should be. Stars, stripes, colors, all that stuff. But did you know there used to be a different way to fly the flag? When it hung as a banner with stripes vertical, it represented the civil government of the United States, places like post offices. Horizontally striped version represents the military. 1 U.S.C. 4 also notes that these historical usages of the flag are still in effect today. The attorney, U.S. Attorney General almost a century ago said that the gold fringe around the flag represents the President of the United States when acting as Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. In other words, the gold-fringed flag is a military flag. Those gold-fringed flags are everywhere. So what is it that you're pledging allegiance to? And to the republic for which it stands. Wait a minute. Isn't this supposed to be a democracy? That's what I hear all the time. But the pledge says republic. Which is it? More importantly, what is the difference? How many people actually know the difference between a republic and a democracy? Well, a republic is a federation of independent states that band together for some common goal like defense, courts, coins, whatever. But democracy? Mob rule. Fortunately, America isn't mob rule. And we're not quite a republic either. We are, to be precise, a constitutional republic. We have some aspects of a democracy, but the mob is bound by the chains of the Constitution, usually. Let me quote Pennsylvania's most famous citizen, favorite too, Benjamin Franklin, to help put things in perspective. He said that democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner. A republic is where the sheep gets to pick which wolves vote on what to have for dinner. But a constitutional republic, voting on dinner is strictly forbidden. The next piece of the pledge says, one nation. Wait a minute, isn't that a contradiction? I thought we were a republic, a collection of sovereign nations. Can't call us one nation. Which is it, one or many? Hmm. Uh, Next piece, most argued about, under God. I thought the First Amendment guaranteed freedom of religion, and that should include freedom from religion. You know, in this politically correct day and age, I'll bet there are people who are offended by that phrase. Let me put this one in perspective, too. How would you feel if it said, one nation under Zeus? Or to make it even more offensive, how about one nation under Satan? I know some people would argue that we already are one nation under Satan, but I digress. Moving on, indivisible. Well, there's another contradiction. Isn't one of the features of a republic that the nations, the member nations, are all sovereign? 
like Britain and Brexit leaving the European Union, they have the right of secession. Don't we? If we don't, then we're not sovereign, are we? That means we're not a republic. But when you say indivisible, you're implying we're not a republic. But, but that's with contradictions. Norman Coordinate. Last line, with liberty and justice for all. Liberty? You surrendered your liberty with the first three words. Justice? Do the minorities in the inner cities receive justice when the courts are racist and half their young adults are either in prison or on parole? How about OJ? Remember him? Did he receive justice? How about his late family? Justice for all? Cut me a break. Only if you're a lawyer can afford to hire one. All right, take a step back. Tie it all together. When we pledge allegiance, what we're saying is, I will do as I'm told by the military, right or wrong, and ignore any inaccuracies, contradictions, or offensive language. Is this what we mean when we say the Pledge of Allegiance? Of course not. But this is what we say. The words have a meaning of our own, despite what we think. And they put me on the horns of a dilemma. Because how can a free person pledge allegiance? How can you honestly bear witness, hand on your hearts, to inaccurate, offensive statements? How can you pretend that justice is being done? You can't, or I can't at least, not keep my self-respect and self-honesty. That left me only one choice, not to pledge. I cannot attest to a lie. It's not to say I don't love America or Pennsylvania, absolutely Pennsylvania. I'm not grateful to live here. I just can't, I can't honestly pledge. So I stopped pledging allegiance. I'm not a jerk about it. You know, so when other people say they're secular prayers, I'll stand silent, like if I were visiting a friend's church or something like that. Instead, I'll pledge allegiance to the truth in whatever form it manifests itself. I'll pledge to uphold and defend the constitutions of Pennsylvania and the United States of America because that is the best way that I know to bring liberty and justice for all. That's me. What about all you pledgers out there in Radio Land? You face the same choice for yourself, pledge or not to pledge. I know it's difficult not to. It's been 20 years this January since I last pledged allegiance. Some people praise me for it. Some people damn me for it. But at least I am true to myself and the truth. And of course, you know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, we are all about solutions. And I found an alternative to the offensive pledge of serfdom. It's, the replacement is called the American's Creed. It was written in 1917 by William Tyler Page, a clerk in the House of Representatives in Washington. The, the creed avoids virtually all the pitfalls of the Pledge of Allegiance. But don't take word, my word for it. I want you to listen for yourselves. Donna, would you do me a favor? Would you read the American's Creed? Absolutely. I believe in the United States of America as a government of the people, by the people, for the people, whose just powers are derived from the consent of the governed, a democracy in a republic, a sovereign nation of many sovereign states, a perfect union, one and inseparable, established upon the principles of freedom, equality, justice, and humanity for which American patriots sacrificed their lives and fortunes. I therefore believe it is my duty to my country to love it, to support its constitution, to obey its laws, 
to respect its flag and to defend it against all enemies. <laughs> I would have added foreign and domestic. That's usually what's there. So what do you think? Much, much better, no? I think so. There's no mention of serfdom. There's no contradictions. Nothing offensive, nothing inaccurate. Except that there is one phrase. A perfect union, one and inseparable. Well, we're not inseparable. We should be as a republic. But regardless, the creed is a much more accurate statement of principles, politics, and history while omitting virtually all the inaccuracies in the pledge. Could it be time to retire the old Pledge of Allegiance and call in the reliever pitcher? My opinion, absolutely. On that patriotic note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 31 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition, that is. And you can hear us there too, as well as iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator Camille Y. Bird, featured Toastmaster cohort and guest Donna Herb, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, Radio producer Robert Fogarty, standing in for vacationing Brett Kronberger. Executive producer Mark Bazzacco. And me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.